God is good, amen? Amen. Well, listen, go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Acts. We're back in Acts after last week. Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 is where we're going to be today as we look into God's Word to get a better take on the church and what's happening uh, as the Holy Spirit moves uh, throughout the early church. And a reminder through all of this is the movement of the Holy Spirit in the early church was not supposed to simply be a historical documented fact that you and I could refer back to to simply let us know that God was moving once upon a time. That when we see the Holy Spirit move in the, in the book of Acts, it's like a, an appetizer. It's a foretaste of what was the promise for us today. And so today, as we look into Acts chapter 4, we'll start in verse 40 through. We'll carry that into verse 5, chapter 11. We're going to really get to see the Holy Spirit move in a way that we're not used to maybe seeing or understanding or experiencing in Scripture. In fact, I, I don't know about this, but... But as you look at chapter 4, we can look at verse 32 down to verse 37. We see a story of, of sweet communion, of sweet fellowship, of, of engagement. In chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? That's the part of the story we skip over when we're telling our kids bedtime stories. Like, we, we have a hard time explaining that to, to them and how that works. And so, we, we can think, well, chapter 4 ends in verse 37, and then turn the page, switch scene, chapter 5 begins, and it's something totally different. Well, here's part of that reality of what comes into that. This is a, a secret. The Lord, when he was writing and inspiring scripture, didn't put chapter and, and verse references. Now, this is, this is new for some, and it's old news for others, but sometimes we, we need to hear a little bit of the backstory. You see, when the Bible was being uh, not written, but copied into producible form or referenceable form, men went through and said, you know what, we need a way to help people find different passages, different stories, different scriptures better. And in doing that, they created this chapter and number system, which is incredible. It's nice to be able to look and say, man, in John chapter 14, Jesus is praying for the church. It's amazing to look into to the book of Ephesians and say, Ephesians chapter 5, it's a really amazing picture of marriage. But, but sometimes we can work against ourselves and think that they are separate events or one chapter ends, we need to switch scenes in our mind. Well, I want you to do something today. I want you to somewhat ignore those references because we're going to look at chapter 4 through chapter 5 verse 11 as one scene, right? As one story in the midst of it. And the focus on it is unity. It's the significance of unity. So with that thought in your main, mind, that word on your, your ears, so to speak, let's read all of this together. Chapter 4, verse 32 through chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and, bought the pro and brought the proceeds of what is sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called uh, by, the, by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyrus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the disciples' feet. We'll continue the story on to chapter 5, verse 1. 
But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Or after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, and you have not lied to man, but to God? When Ananias heard these words, he fell and breathed his last, and great fear fell upon all who heard of it. Verse 6, And the young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold land for such so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. And when young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, that's a pretty amazing story, right? I mean, as we look at that, we see this contrast. And we look in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1, we see this word, but, right? But doesn't mean on another day or doing something else. It kind of means in contrast to, right? We, we talk about that often here. If you would say, man, children, you guys can go out and play with your friends today, but what do they know is coming? You need to clean your room first. Right? It's, it's like it's, there's something that's now conditional, something that's changed the tone, right? You know, your husband comes in from being outside or whatnot and, and wants to snuggle on the couch. I would love to snuggle with you, but you stink. You know what I'm saying? Like, but means there's a change going on. And so we know that this story is linked, but it's a different illustration altogether. But it reads and it reaps the same point. The point, the whole story, the sum summary, the synopsis, and the focus is in verse 32. So look in chapter 4, verse 32 with me, and let's look what the Bible says. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. You see, the, the thing that is promoted here first, first and foremost is simply this, that there is a significance to unity. There is a significance to the unity in the body of Christ and how it relates to one another and how it relates to the Lord. Hey, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever, have you seen that wrapped through the pages of Scripture? From, from the beginning, the Lord made Adam and Eve to be unified with one another and with Him. We look at the Ten Commandments. Why was the Ten Commandments given? As a guide, but as a guide for what? To have a unified, a, a relationship with the Lord. When the people of God started settling the promised land and, and the half-tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh going over to the other side of, of the land, that division almost caused a war to break out within the people of God. Why? Because unity was being separated of, uh, out. Some had settled for less than God's promise, the cusp of his promise, instead of all of it. We can walk from Genesis to Revelation, and what we see throughout the pages of Scripture is this significance of unity. And if there's nothing that you and I hear from today, if there's nothing else we read from this passage of Scripture, it's this realization that the Lord has made unity in His bride and in His fellowship of the utmost important, and we can.
cannot forsake it or trick it or fake it. Look at verse 33 through verse 36. We start to get these proofs of what happens when the bride of Christ is unified with one another. It says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, There was need not a needy man person among them for as many who were owners of lands or households sold them brought this proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to all those who had need just pause for a second you see unity can be can be ah, faked is not a good word but we can pretend we're unified but the fruit of unity is evident Have you ever had a bad morning before you came to to a church on Sunday morning? Has it ever happened? If you were with us at home before you walked out of the bedroom, did you get an argument on the way to the couch? Have you been disciplining your children in the church parking lot and you open the door and all of a sudden it's, hello, how are you doing? I'm fine. Do y'all know something funny? Fine is not a fruit of unity. Do you know that? Like, how was your day? Fine. Oh, man. (laughs) That's not good. Why was it only fine? Do I dare ask that question? You see, the fruit of unity is, is produced and real and evident. I don't know if your phone does this, but my phone will take my pictures, and this is scary, the world is tracking us now, but it'll pull up and say, here's a photo album of Christy for you today, and I'll play the photo album. It's gone through all my pictures, and it's just playing, and I'm watching her through the decades. I have have pictures on my phone since 2013, I think, still. So to watch seven years of her life and our story and the fruit of that unity, You see, the produce in our life and our spirit reveals whether unity is authentic and spirit-led and given or whether we're just playing around. And that's what this story is about. So let's look at the fruit first, and then we'll look at the significance in a minute. In verse 33, it says what? It says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, do you know the fruit of unity? is a bold and effective witness. I just want you to stop for just a moment. The fruit of unity within the body of Christ with the Lord is a bold and effective witness. It says that great power, the apostles were giving testimony. I mean, process this before we take it personally. When the people of God were unified and following after him, not making up their own way, what happened? Giants fell. Nations bowed down at the feet of the Lord. Even in captivity, unity influenced the nation. We look in the New Testament. We see the disciples when they were unified, how they spoke boldly no matter where they were. We see that in the book of Acts We see it in Paul's letters. Do you know when the church of the Lord is unified with one another under this banner of the Lord, authentic unity with him, that bold witnessing is part of the fruit? Now pause for a moment. 
you and I walk around our state, our city, or our country, have you ever felt like something was missing in the church? Have you ever just wished it was more alive? Have, have you just ever longed for the Spirit to be more present? Have you, ever, have you ever desired to see men and women and boys and girls come to the Lord like it's written in the pages of Scripture? We have one of two things. We can say that was only a biblical thing and that time has ended. Or we can look in our hearts and we can say, Lord, am I in union? Am I unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ under your banner? Or are we simply acquaintances for Jesus? You see, the boldness that comes from union is authentic. You know how I know this? Some of you have been seeing pictures pop up. I love spring sports. Um, I, I was Connor's coach and Ashley's coach, embarrassed all of us sufficiently. But I, I would get excited because my heart was in union with their desire to play a sport and I told everybody about it if I would have been a big Facebook poster all of my pictures would have been about that you see we know what bold witnessing looks like church don't we I mean let's pause about this disciple now collide just happened right when we see the Lord do something great we talk about it. We proclaim it. So the first question that we have to say is, when you let the Spirit look in your heart, this isn't about knowledge of the Lord. It's about unity of the body. If you are lacking a bold and effective witness in the world around you, starting at your home, impacting your, your circle at school and work and in the world, if you're missing that, then my question would be is, will you lay that before the Lord and say, am I in union with you and my brothers and sisters in Christ? God did not make you to be alone with him forever. Note to self, heaven is a populated place. No recluse moment. We can't hide in heaven. Because God made us to be one. And so a boldness comes with that because we want everybody to have what we're drinking of. They had great power in their testimony. Another fruit, it says, was this. And great grace was upon them all. That's in verse 33. That word great grace means favor. And I was reading this week and was trying to get a hundred different authors take on whose favor it was. Was this with the city? Was this with one another? Was this with the Lord? Here's what I came to understand is the Lord didn't explain it or articulate it on purpose he just wants you to know when you and I are walking under his banner, lock in step, surrounded by the bride of Christ, then we will experience the favor of the Lord and our reputation and relationships around us. Favor of the Lord may look like Psalm chapter 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my what? My enemies. That's favor. That doesn't mean everybody likes you. Sometimes I think when we try to fake significant unity, we, we start to become people pleasers or peacekeepers. But what God calls us to is not to fake what he offers freely. 
He offers us to live a life of favor, whether we're rich or whether we're poor. A life of favor, whether we're liked or whether we're disliked. A life of favor, whether life is easy or the day is hard. Note to self, favor does not mean big pockets, big bank accounts, and happy families. That's not what favor is. That's false doctrine. Favor is that you and I have learned the secret with Paul of being content in every situation, right? Is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The favor of the Lord, experiencing that in our community, if we are in union with God, then our, our testimony is clean, it's straight, it's significant, it's whole. The fruit of that is undeniable. Those who throw accusations of us walk away in shame. Why? Because the favor of God is on us. Because we are in union with one another and with God. Do you see the significance of unity, church? Now, there's another piece that comes to this. And a specific illustration is given in verse 34, starting verse 35, excuse me, the verse 36 through verse 37 about Barnabas who is called and he sold land and he bought it and he laid it as a, at the apostles', apostles feet. What was the point of this? Does this mean that unity looks like everybody has to have the same thing everywhere? We all have to watch the same TV, you know, RCA, 4K, whatever it is. RCA I think is still a brand dating myself a little bit. Are you following me? It's not saying everybody has to have three red chairs, four black chairs, and a table that's eight years old. It's not communism. It's not socialism. Here's what it is. When you and I are living the fruit of God, we are joyful stewards, and that equals an unqualified sharing. If you have a need and I can help, brother, I'm in. If you have a need, sister, and I can, can encourage, I can provide, I'm in. Because you need to know you are not alone in this world. You are significant because you are one with me and with my Lord. Do you see the difference? Church, when we are one with the Lord, we have his heart, we have his mind. His spirit moves us to do what? To see nothing as our own. David would say this in Chronicles. Who am I? Who are we that we could give so freely? If you are stingy, oh, this is going to hurt. Then you're out of step with the Lord somewhere. Oh. If, if you're protecting this amount from the Lord and your brother's in need, then you're out of step because you're not unified. The, the unity that we have in God is so significant that there's an unqualified sharing. Not that people are coming and, and having to say, well, listen, you have more than me, I have less, and so I need some money from you. That's not here in Scripture. It says that the people who are walking with the Lord see that others have a need, and they trusted godly men, godly people, to help provide for those people by giving up some of what they had. Church, the significance of unity is a world-changing, life-changing, reality-shaping fruit that is the boldness and the power of the gospel condined with the favor of the Lord revealed in a joyful steward in Christ.
That's what we're called to be. But, but, sometimes we try to walk that road differently. I found uh, the words to, uh, to an old hymn this week. And I don't know if you know this, because if you grew up in a Baptist church, you always skip this verse, because there were five verses, and we don't sing the fourth if there's five, right? If you grew up in a Baptist church, if there's four verses, we don't sing the second or the third. We've got to miss out. Got to get these songs over with. Do you recognize these words? But we could never prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows for the joy he bestows or for them who will what? Trust and obey. Do you know that chorus? How's it go? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Now, I want you to hear what you just said. That chorus is powerfully deep and needed in understanding this passage. For there's how many other ways? No other ways than to trust no. Note to self, church, this is crazy. There is not a sliding scale in following Jesus. You either trust and obey or you are living in rebellion, period. Now you might be saying, Pastor, that seems kind of harsh. I don't know, let's read scripture. If, if you tell your, your child, I love you. Listen, I, I, I want you to follow me. Where I'm leading you is going to be so good. And then they rebel against you. And you ground them instead of going to the park. How evil are you? Okay, note to self, you're not. You're a good parent. Just clear that up. You see, we have turned a worldview onto our relationship with Christ. The worldview says, look at the people around me. As long as I'm doing more or I'm not as bad or I'm better than them, then I'm trusting Jesus more, I'm obeying him more, then God's got to be good on me. Here's the thing. The worldview is not interested in the call, the plan, or the cause of Christ. It is interested in saving my own skin. That is not the gospel. The gospel brings salvation absolutely to me for the purpose of fulfilling the Father's plan, the kingdom, the bigger picture. So when we see this story in chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, I won't read it all since we read it already, but we see this man and Ananias and Sapphira, and the Bible says in the beginning that they conspired together to do some deception, some trickery. So they went and sold a piece of land and they brought it in. And Peter has to be either, you know, just a brilliant man. He's been spying on this guy. He's got an app that works, or it's the Holy Spirit. It says, Ananias, when you brought this in, why have you lied to the Spirit? Why did you let Satan fill your heart and keep back part of it for yourself? I mean, when it wasn't sold, it was yours. And even after it was sold, it was yours. So we know there's more to the story here. And that's why we need the Sapphira part of the story. Bring it all together. When Sapphira comes in after her husband's been, been dead, this cursed man would have been buried quickly out of the way because you don't want a cursed person hanging around the house. And he says, let me ask you a question. Did you agree with your husband? Did you sell it for this much and such and such? See, now we know there's deception. She said, yes, absolutely we did. And he said, why have you grieved? Why have you lied to the Lord? You see, 
we, we look at this and we say, God, killing them seems kind of harsh. Like, I don't know how much they gave the Lord for that piece of land, but it's probably more than most Americans tithe, amen? I mean, let's pause this. If you owned your house outright, and I, I didn't look at this in our area, but let's say you got 200 grand. And let's say you gave 100,000 of that to the Lord and said, provide for people. That's a good thing, right? I mean, that's a lot of money. For me, that's multiple, multiple years tithing. So if I'm looking at it and saying, God, they did something good. Why'd you kill them off? That seems a little harsh. The Lord says, you're missing the point. You see, what the enemy does is he brings an attack on the Lord. He, he doesn't bring this attack to the church in the way that he thinks he does. In, in the middle of this, Ananias and Sapphira, they just want to look good. They want to do some good, but they want to make sure that they're okay. You see, sin has a way of deceiving the deceptor. We think we're tricking everybody else out. We come to church, we put on our Sunday vest, our mouth is clean, our hands are clean, and our smiles are big. We want to tell everybody, I'm this person. But on Monday, the people that know you at work, if you would have told them that you are a member of the church, that you are esteemed in the church, would they show favor to the church? Or would they question the significance of unity? You see, when we live this double standard kind of life, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God, amen? So just so you know, right now, hear this out. I want you just in your head, you don't say it out loud. Say, the Lord, you're talking to me, right? I'm not talking to your neighbor. The Lord's not talking to your neighbor. He's talking to David Adams. When through sin, we scheme and make plans to make unity false, man-made, instead of following hard after God we are not attacking one another our deception is an all out assault on the almighty have you ever seen it that way have you ever noticed that your sin aims to break fracture and attack God's plan why because oneness is his plan Jesus John chapter 17 let them be one as we are one. Paul and Corinthians, we are one body through one spirit. When we try to deceive, try to make things balance out on our own, whatever it is, no matter how deep it is, we are attacking and intending to fracture our relationship with God. And sin tricks us into think that's not at all what we're doing. We're just covering our bases. Church, when we raise our children, when we walk into work, when we lay our head down at night, when we go out to a restaurant in the afternoon, whatever it is, wherever it goes, the unity and the significance of that unity surrounds us and it is either rich with the fruit of the Spirit or it is death. There's no sliding scale. Bam, Pastor, that's, that's hard. I thought about it in terms of my family because the Bible says that God is our Father. Amen? If you're in Him, He's yours. You're His. My daughter's gone off to college freshman year. It's been hard on both of us. Really, it's just been hard on me. 
but if she's gone off guess what I can't do I can't see the people in her life that are going to try to rip her out of my influence and the Lord's influence at my home because here's the deal if I'm with my family and you a wolf in sheep's clothing were to come up and would try to sow lies and would try to break her apart from my family if you were to come in and to try to to sow deception into her in a way that fractured my relationship what would your response be don't you know what I don't want to be too harsh on you I want to go easy on you you know what she's her own person if you want to attack and try to destroy my family good on you no that's insane amen that's insane you come after my child come on I may not carry guns but I have friends amen like like listen if you try to fracture that relationship there's not a response that would be too harsh for me to protect it when the Lord sees one of us or someone else coming in trying to fracture his relationship with the bride are you ready for it why would he not protect his children and in that moment the church wakes up fear settles into all who hear of it and all who heard it why because this God is legitimate he is serious not about our funds he could care less about the money in your pocket he put it there he, he's he's serious not about the job you hold or the way that people esteem you or whether you they're giving you your your just deserves kind of thing God's not interested in that he has made you significant because he has given his son for your life so that you could be one with him and in that moment the fruit that started to bear was the fruit of being a part of the family of God Almighty our King Eternal and anything that attacks that discipline is coming within the church and judgment is coming outside of the church it's not a sliding scale our God is a jealous God and so what does that fear do to us oh as a child of God walking in unity with his bride with our Lord that fear is this awesome reminder of the dad who will always guard your heart and with that reminder there is boldness and with that reminder there is favor in that reminder there is freedom oh to fear the Lord in such a way how significant is that in the same fashion if today you are walking the fence if you're living a double life somebody on Sunday someone else on Monday if you've been playing a church game thinking the Lord will stamp your card into heaven that fear is a call to repentance the, the, the Lord God who made you who, who gave his son while you were still sinners while you were an object of wrath 
That same Lord wants you to know the fear and the reality of the Almighty God so that you might bend your knee in repentance to Him so that you could give up this sham you're living and walk in the significance of unity with Him. Fear is an invitation to the sweetness of the fruit of God from the reality of the judgment of a Lord who will protect his bride. This morning, where are you? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord's not here to bury you until you breathe your last breath. There's opportunity for restoration. Maybe this morning is just a reminder of your significance. Things are hard. Favor seems fleeting. If you see that fruit of the Lord in you and in your relationships, be encouraged. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, thank you for caring for us in a way that is undeserved in a way that is whole and sweet. Father God, we know in this day and in this hour, God, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that no man, woman, or child is holy apart from you. Father God, I know in this room as well, Lord, there's not one person who claims Christ that is perfect that hasn't stumbled and fallen or rebelled against you in seasons, God. Where, whatever we do, wherever we stand, would you let the fear of the real, almighty, eternal King who loves us make our knee bow before you, God, so that we can be made new, restored, forgiven. Father God, would you redeem what is lost and value what has been found? Lord Jesus, thank you for this story of what fruit looks like and how much it means to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?